Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers. With your host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy who's not here is Kirk Damon. We are still recording separately uh, due to the ongoing COVID-19 situation. I don't know if our studio is even open yet over at Cool Fire, but uh, in the meantime, Kirk and I are still uh, largely working out of our homes and, um, you know, just trying to get by like everybody else. So Kirk did record some new content, and we're going to try and get a couple of new episodes out to you guys over the next few weeks that um, are smaller bites than what we usually do, just some little updates on things. I don't know how we wound up here, but we're calling them the Edamame episodes. I think it was a joke that started with Kirk talking about little little bites or like little peas in a pod, and then we got onto edamame from there so we're gonna see you'll see the title of these when they release they're called the edamame episodes uh technically season three episode 11 which are going to release a bunch of these little little snippets so anyway kirk's got two i've not listened to these i don't know what they're about or what he says but i'm just going to drop them in and we'll go from there so please enjoy and you can expect more bite-sized content like this for the next couple of weeks as we try to get stuff out to you and uh and keep this rolling while also just you know dealing with the daily rea- daily realities of uh, the situation we find ourselves in. On that note, uh, enjoy uh, a little content from Kirk. Thanks. Hey y'all, um, it's been a while, but wanted to do a quick update for anybody who's interested um, in conjunction with uh, COVID nineteen related inventions. And what I particularly want to talk about today is just a few sort of basic things in the fact that I think most um, patent offices and a lot of sort of IP related things are starting to recognize the fact that you know the patent office and the patent system has a place uh, definitely in promoting innovation um, and trying to get innovations related to the current pandemic uh, out into the public. So anyway, what I particularly wanted to talk about is a couple of different programs. Um, I'm going to talk about the United States programs. Just so you know, there there are similar programs around the world um, for trying to do prioritized examination, um, trying to get inventions out there and things like that. But I wanted to mention one in particular, which is the um, United States Patent and Trademark Office's Prioritized Examination Program um, for uh, products or processes related to COVID-19. I do think this is a, a really interesting program. Uh, I think it's great that they're trying to do this. At the same time, I think there's some problems with it. Um, First off, for anybody who's aware, the United States Stratton Trading House does offer prioritized examination. They actually have two different forms of prioritized examination. They have what's called track one examination, and they have what's called uh, a petition to make special, um, which basically is an alternate form of uh, tr- examination. Petition to make special basically uh, has been around for- forever. Um, <laughs> it's, de- it's definitely a long-standing uh, program. Uh, it's been around for as long as I've practiced patent law. And the idea behind a petition to make special is that there's a separate queue for each examiner. So when patents go into a patent examiner at the United States, what they do is they get into a queue, they get assigned to an examiner, they get in a queue. And it's a, it's a first in, first out uh, type of queue uh, that the examiner gets as to how he's supposed to look through cases, he or she's supposed to look through cases. Um, the issue with it is is that certain cases are supposed to go faster so example is is like cases which have already had you know certain um, have already been through the patent examiner once um, certain things uh, sort of get into a secondary queue and that's what they call the special queue um, so basically there's a, a sort of main queue and there's a special queue the issue in conjunction with the queues is that how long they are is completely sort of up in the air 
And what examiners are supposed to do is spend a certain amount of time every week working on the special queue and the most of the time working on the regular queue. The idea is the special queue is supposed to be shorter. Um, and so while they're working on it less time because they are working on it specifically sometime every week, um, it actually does work through the special queue faster than through the regular queue. So a petition to make special allows you to make a uh, patent filing and to say that that patent filing goes uh, in conjunction with the petition to make special and is filed, uh, basically places it on that special queue as opposed to the regular queue when it's initially filed. Petitions to make special can be filed for a bunch of different reasons. There's certain classifications um, of things that can be filed and petition to make specials. You can file, for example, because of the inventor's age, but there's also just a generic petition to make special where you pay a fee and it, it, it goes through regardless of any reason. Recently, the United States introduced what's called track one examination, uh, prioritized examination. Track one and prioritized examination is a lot different from petition to make special because instead of it just being in a queue that's supposed to be shorter and getting to it when they get to it, track one examination basically guarantees that they'll look at it within a year. Um, so the United States Patent and Trademark Office has to try to get to it quickly um, and really work through it. Um, so, and it's uh, actually you'll get two actions uh, within a course of a year. We filed some uh, track one applications. They they are looked at very quickly. Um, so it's one of those things with it. Traditionally, track one examinations require a rather substantial fee. It's a four thousand dollar fee. Now, keep in mind that's compared to you know a little less than two thousand dollars in filing fees for the application. So. You've got a substantial fee um, associated with filing for uh, track one examination traditionally. So the United States Patent and Trademark Office's COVID-19 program is actually a track one application. Um, so I think that's one of the things that's very important to keep in mind. This is not a position to make special. Other times they've tried to make uh, sort of, you know, prioritized examination sections. Um, they've always gone into the petition to make special. And the real problem with petition to make special is it's not clear if it's going to be faster and if it is faster, how much faster. Prioritized examination is a specific faster process. It does go faster almost in every case. Um, and it, it's because it's a guaranteed timing of how fast it goes through, you know what it's going to take. So there's an advantage to that. So the... Um, Advantage of the, the COVID-19 process is it's specifically a track one type application. It's a prioritized examination process. So that's going to be great. I think it's, it's really going to speed these things up. It's going to, um, work much better, uh, in conjunction with it. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm assuming it's a track one. It gets filed as a track one application. So I'm assuming that's going to be treated in the same way. Uh, a few things to keep in mind. If you think you want to file a patent application in conjunction with the COVID-19 prioritized examination, the first one of these is, is, um, you have to claim a product or process related to COVID-19. So your application can't just discuss it, uh, can't necessarily be related, just something related to it. It has to claim it. Um, I think this is an important thing to note, but I also think it's a somewhat concerning distinction uh, made by the Patent and Trademark Office because it's very clear from my reading of this, what they're trying to target is essentially treatments or vaccines. They're not necessarily targeting things which could relate to uh, secondary effects related to COVID-19. And I think there's some concern with that. I mean, we, we need secondary items to come out there. So the example would be if I have an improved form of personal protective equipment, a PPE, um, which may help protect people from COVID-19, I wouldn't necessarily be able to file that because as a, as a COVID-19 ex- uh, expedited case because I might not be able to claim it uh, related to COVID-19 specifically. Um, and so I, I think that there's a bit of a problematic choice that they made of saying it has to claim it. I understand why they did. 
get it. They obviously don't want people to just sort of utilize this for anything. Um, but it's one of those I think is, is slightly concerning that they made it a requirement in the claims. I think that there could have been some kind of a certification separately. This would say, hey, this is certified as something which is useful for COVID-19, which they, they could have readily reviewed to make sure that that's uh, actually accurate. The second thing that I think is concerning with it, and I think potentially the most concerning thing in conjunction with COVID-19, is that the claimed product or process must be the subject of an applicable Food and Drug Administration approval for COVID-19 use. Um. I find this very problematic. I find this very problematic because it means that you have to have filed ahead of time um, in order to, you know, have this sort of Food and Drug Administration approval for COVID-19 use. Um, Again, this really feels like it's targeting drugs. It also feels like this is really targeting sort of larger companies that would be looking for FDA approval. The reason I have concerns uh, in conjunction with this is because I think that this process would be much better served um, if we were not limiting this to things which would be approved by the FDA. Uh, but to things which may be able to affect um, outcomes. If you're talking about, you know, a small startup that has a particularly good idea that may want to file for this, may want to try to get that idea out there and potentially shop it around. Um, no, they can obviously file for it, but they can't get the prioritized examination. Um, and the the concern being is they have to file for it. They would then have to shop it around. And by the time they shop it around and a company would come to it and say, hey, this is valuable. We'd like to get it. Um, filing for prioritized examination is gone because you have to file for it when you initially file the application. So I think they've created a, a sort of unnecessary bar there in conjunction with the FDA approval um, element because it really feels at this point in time like what they're looking for is essentially they want to grant patents and a prioritized examination thing to large drum companies developing vaccines or developing treatments. Uh, again, as opposed to where I think there could be value um, in uh, smaller startups and the value of smaller companies potentially pursuing these things uh, in conjunction with it. And um, stuff moving forward from that point of view. Now, a few of the ones that I think are, are also interested, and I think uh, one of the things that's uh, a little bit, I guess I'd say sort of potentially uh, concerning with it is whether or not uh, there's going to be enough space in it. So it only allows for 500 um, qualifying patent applications um which can go through. So there's only 500 people that are going to be able to get this or 500 patent applications that are going to be able to get this um, in order to go through um, the the process of trying to get this prioritized examination. So I think that that's, um, you know, it, it should be enough. I guess when I kind of look at it, you sort of look at it and say, hey, uh, it should be enough uh, to, to get those kind of things through it. Um, but we'll definitely see, um, if there is enough, I, I would assume as well, if it quite frankly goes through and, and gets a lot, uh, of, of traction, it's going to, you know, they're going to expand the number, but yeah, the, the real question I sort of have of it is this FDA approval, this FDA sort of, uh, issue and what exactly it means, um, just to give you the idea, they've said sort of the subsequent applicable FDA approval for COVID-19 is investigational drug application, investigational device exemption, new drug application, biologics license application, pre-market approval, or emergency use authorization. Now, it's good that they put the emergency use authorization in there because obviously that's going to cover um, some other things. The real concern I have in conjunction with is we've got that thing with it, but also this um, prioritized examination is limited to applicants to qualify for smaller microentity status. So it really seems like they've sort of put two 
almost incompatible things together. Because again, I think a lot of small companies, a lot of startups are going that would qualify as micro entities are going to have real trouble having submitted to the FDA prior to doing this. I mean, the FDA procedure process can be expensive and can be difficult. Now, at least the emergency use authorization is in there. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where it's, it, I think it's be very interesting to see if this works or not. Um, and I'm, I'm somewhat concerned that it won't. Uh, so anyway, it, we'll find out soon because obviously we'll see if people are applying for it. But I think it's this is going to unfortunately cut a lot of companies out that would potentially want this. I think you're going to have big companies that can do the FDA stuff quite easily are going to bump into the fact that they can't uh, meet the small or micro entity status requirement. And then I think you're going to get a lot of small and micro entity requirements that you know would be interested in doing this that may not be able to necessarily meet the FDA uh, requirement. Just you know, uh, small and micro entities, small entities, uh, any company with 500 or fewer employees. Um, so most companies qualify as small entities uh, in front of the United States Patent and Trademark Office, but obviously large ones don't. Uh, micro entity is a particularly smaller requirement. Um, it generally basically says you first have to be a small entity and then you have to meet various additional requirements. For example, that you have not filed for many patent applications um, and that you have uh, certain income uh, limitations, which are not particularly you know low. It's not like this is a pro bono program or anything along those lines, uh, but they do require it to be something where the, the company or the individual um, essentially does doesn't necessarily have a lot of resources to put towards patenting. But anyway, I wanted to particularly talk about that program. I think it's something that it's nice to see the United States trying to do something along those lines. But again, I'm not sure that the program uh, necessarily will work the best. I think we'll see as to how that works out. Hopefully it does. I mean, I'd really like to see a lot of applications going through in this, but I think a lot of companies are going to meet one requirement, but not the other. Um, and if that's going to potentially cause a problem uh, as this goes forward. Uh, there are some other uh, programs out there. Uh, there's definitely prioritized examination in a lot of other countries. Um just to sort of be aware of, uh, and that those are potentially valuable. But that's the the first one I wanted to talk about. Now, the second program I wanted to talk about is another one of the USPTO uh, programs, and I think this one is far more interesting. Um, it's definitely something brand new, I think, in conjunction with what the uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office has done, and this is what's called Patents for Partnerships. Um, so the United States Patent Trademark Office has built a new website called Patents for Partnerships, which is an IP marketplace. Um, the idea behind it is it's supposed to provide the public with essentially a searchable register of patents and published patent applications, um, which currently are related to the COVID-19, um, things. That's what it's limited to is stuff related to COVID-19. Uh, but it's, it, they, they've talked about the fact that it can obviously be expanded um, to things outside of this. But the idea is for patents and patent owners that have something where they say, hey, I've got something as an IP right. I am looking to connect um, with people who can turn those rights into a product, into some kind of a, a solution or method that can be used. Um, and to say, hey, let's connect these two organizations together. Um, the reason I think this is good is because there's been a lot of discussion of the idea of once you get a patent, what do you do with it? Um, the Patent and Trademark Office, I don't think, has ever really stepped into the realm of saying we can help you license, we can help you do uh, anything in conjunction with your patents. Um, but they are now. The thing that I think is really interesting about this is as opposed to in conjunction with the petition to make special process, which requires sort of the FDA piece, um, which is it requires the smaller micro entity piece, this is much more open. Um what while it obviously has to relate to um, the coronavirus and and or the COVID nineteen, the issue with it is is I'm not sure that it um, 
needs to have any kind of connection with the FDA. It doesn't seem to need to have any kind of you know specific association, no kind of new drug application. It's anything associated with this. So we're getting stuff um, related to what I would call secondary um, uh, uh, inventions sort of related to the pandemic. So things where it's, you know, stuff that may be useful, but isn't necessarily directly for it. So anyway, just so you know, um, there's currently about 210, um, patents up on this site from the way I read the United States Patent and Trademark Office's webpage. So it's, it's definitely got some stuff posted up and you can see stuff everywhere. Um, there's, you know, stuff related to specifically coronavirus spike proteins, um, all the way to, you know, feedback sensors, to um, devices for, you know, enhancing microbial safety. Um, there is definitely sort of stuff out there uh, associated with this. Now, a lot of this it does require a, a published patent application or a patent. A lot of the things on the site are published patent applications, obviously, uh, because of the fact of just timings. Uh, but we're already seeing there are granted patents and specifically things related to uh, coronavirus uh, infections, specifically stuff related to coronavirus, uh, coronaviruses generally, um, and or you know COVID nineteen specifically. So anyway, want to make people aware of this, um, just generally out there. If you you know are somebody who has a patent uh, or patent application in this space and are interested in using you know trying to find somebody to help you commercialize the invention, this could be very very useful. I think the other thing that need, people need to be aware of is that this is out there. If you are the other side, uh, if you are somebody who is looking for inventions in this, is looking for something that you may be able to capitalize on. You have a manufacturing facility. Um, you have uh, something else where you're doing this or you have a, a startup where you need a particular um, piece of technology, maybe something that you can obtain here. So it's one of those to be aware of. It's it's very simple. If you go to um, uh, USPTO.gov, you should be able to access it as to what it is. Um, I notice it does seem to fall underneath a, a developer page um, in conjunction, which I think is is kind of intriguing. Um and uh, and stuff like that, but yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's a very interesting site. It's a very interesting thing to see where this goes, and I think this is something which is going to survive the pandemic. Uh, we're going to see this continue. I think much beyond. Um uh, the current situation, if this works well. So anyway, um, I guess I would say I'm much more positive about this one. A few other things I just wanted to mention quickly, as I mentioned, other countries do have other stuff going on. I'm not going to go into them with this, but another discussion has been, um, there's a lot of, you know, patent pools, which are starting to be created, uh, groups that are out there, which are saying, Hey, let's put patents together or they're going to be freely licensed or they're going to be passed around. Um, you know, whether or not these things are going to be valuable or useful, I think a lot depends on one, you know, where does the solution end up coming from? Um, and you know, what does it do? I think the, the things with the pools, I think a lot of people are concerned about the idea of price gouging of, Hey, you know, we don't want companies to capitalize hugely that develop something. We want them to say, you know, it's not going to be a thousand dollar test. It's going to be a $200 test, um, to put out there because we don't want sort of profiteering. Um, I think I'll mention that those are out there. There's companies that have signed on to them. There are companies that seem opposed to them. You know, me personally, I think there's a lot of concern in conjunction with the idea of trying to force uh, people to license technology out uh, for less than a market bearing price. Um, you know, <laughs> I have a college degree in economics. It's one of those where, you know, I, I have trouble with the idea of saying you can't charge a market price uh, for something. But it's one of those where the. The, the, the concern is obvious. Why people are, you know, worried about profiteering and stuff like that. And you know, are we going to end up in a scenario where only the rich can afford a treatment? Um, you know, my take again, in, in conjunction with this, is a lot of it's going to depend on where does it come from and what does it look like. I don't think we're going to have something where we're truly going to have a magic bullet. Um, 
where you know a single vaccine ends up becoming the magic bullet and everybody has to have exactly the same vaccine. I think we're going to see a lot of separate solutions come in around the same time. And as soon as we have one magic bullet, we're going to have people you know determining how to get multiples, um, which is one of the advantages of the IP system is the fact that you know for IP protection, you have to have public disclosure. So if you look at the idea, there's a huge value to people who are potentially finding a vaccine to filing patent, to encouraging them to file patents on it. Uh, to ensure them to get those patents quickly so that those patents can get out there and that the knowledge from those patents can be used by other people to design around them. So anyway, I just wanted to leave that quick overview that there's that kind of stuff out there. If any people are interested in it, uh, definitely talk to a patent attorney. Um, there's a lot of changes in this. There's a lot of specifics of what you need to know uh, and they may be able to help you. So anyway, uh, that's sort of my little soundbite here um, on that and I will turn it back over um, and I'm sure we'll have more of these. I'm going to have some more of these sound bites uh, coming in on a variety of different topics. All right, Kirk, thank you very much. Um, so there you have it, folks. We'll have more uh, shorter episodes coming to you over the coming weeks. If you have any particular topics you'd like us to cover, whether it's uh, legal things, um, whether it's just things going on in pop culture, uh, let us know. Hit us up on the website, on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, shoot us an email, and uh, we'll take a look at it. So uh, that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lauren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 